Hey everyone, welcome to the first real episode of Wednesday Night Wrestling. And the reason I say it's the first real episode is because last episode, episode zero, was basically the prologue or the origin story. But this week is the first week where we had the real head-to-head matchup between NXT on USA versus the debut episode of AEW's Dynamite on TNT. But before we dig into the show, I'd like to take a moment to thank Podcast One for having the Launchpad platform, which is allowing people like me, who are complete novices in any kind of broadcasting, to have an opportunity to take a chance on themselves and create content based upon something that is really a passion of theirs. And in my particular case, it's pro wrestling. So with that, I've gone ahead and I've gone ahead and I've used their platform to go ahead and put my podcast most places that people are getting their podcasts. So I'm now on Spotify, on Stitcher, and as of Wednesday night, just as AEW Dynamite began, I received notification that iTunes had accepted the pod. So please listen and press subscribe. And on iTunes, please leave comments or leave five-star reviews. I'm not saying I'm at five-star level, but it's a start. Also, please, please, please give me some follows over on Twitter. I can be reached at middleagedmark1 over on Twitter. Would really like to have an opportunity to grow this podcast and to grow a following. Uh, I can only do that with the help of each and every one of you. And for those of you who took a chance on a complete unknown, for whatever reason you saw the, the logo and you clicked on it and you gave it a chance, I want to say thank you to the people who listened to my debut podcast. It really means the world to me that people even took a chance. And hopefully you're all coming back for the next episode. So as we get started, the news came out a couple of hours ago of what the rating was for the overnights. And I believe it was something uh, like a 1.4 million viewers for AEW Dynamite and about 800, almost 900,000 watching NXT. The question that keeps coming up is, is this something that can hold? And was the AEW show demonstrably better than the NXT show? Or is it simply a matter of the curiosity of wrestling fans that they've been waiting for so long to see this debut episode that the curiosity was going to override any sense of loyalty or even preference for NXT. Now for myself, I mentioned on the last podcast that I've always been interested in the underdog or let's just say the counterculture, which means I'm not going to have a normal and natural proclivity for anything that's happening on WWE programming as much as I enjoy the NXT product. So I've been watching from being elite watching Ring of Honor, watching New Japan, and watching the growth of Cody, the Bucks, Kenny, Hangman, and of course, guys who are on NXT right now, like Adam Cole, who in an alternate timeline would have been working with these guys on AEW Dynamite. But everyone took a different path. Nevertheless, I wanted to come out of the box absolutely thinking that everything that AEW was going to do solely based on the work that they've done in the past in all the other pay-per-views. All in, all out, double or nothing, fighter fest, fight for the fallen, all really great shows, completely enjoyable. So I went in with kind of a bias, which is why I'm not surprised by the rating, but I was surprised by what I liked and didn't like about both shows. It was actually somewhat contrary to anything that I expected that I was going to to think or feel going into it. And I think first and foremost, it's not just a matter of the big arena or the small arena. I really do think that in some ways, AEW, from what came over last night, is much more rooted in that, I don't know, old school, not 80s and 90s wrestling per se, but it seemed to me there was a lot more, and and I saw someone on, on Twitter say that there wasn't enough Gaga in either one of the shows. I feel there was a lot of character stuff that was happening on AEW because they're trying to go ahead and build these characters. There was a lot of storyline happening. There's a lot of angles being shot. 
Conversely, there is NXT, a WWE product, and WWE is constantly being maligned for their storytelling, with the exception of NXT. But here you had an amazing night purely in-ring, while still furthering a lot of stories. So one of the things we'll look at at the end of the podcast is who was the star of the night, regardless of brand, who was the absolute star of the night? I have a couple of ideas who I think really came across as being something really special. And maybe it's not who you'd exactly think it was. All right, so let's dig into the show. Well, the shows, I should say. So for my first viewing, I decided I was going to have AEW on my primary television screen. Big screen, cable, here we go. And I was going to run NXT on my iPad. So I set both up because I really wanted to get an idea of what any uh, what programming or counter-programming was going to be happening throughout the night. Obviously, both shows running live, with the only certainty being that first opening match, which had been announced a long time ago, was going to be Cody and Sammy Guevara. Everyone was wondering, what's the counter-programming going to be? You start off with Adam Cole, Bebe, versus Matt Riddle. That's some pretty substantial counter-programming. Now, what I expected to happen did happen as far as the presentation of the shows, and it absolutely makes sense for Cody to be the first person out. Not just because he's Cody Rhodes, not just because he's an executive vice president, not just because he's the guy who took the bet from Dave Meltzer. His theme song is absolutely perfect for starting the show, and it talks about being the one to start the show. Tremendous. And I can't imagine anyone thinking there could be a more perfect or more fitting start. Not to mention the history of the NWA and WCW and their relationship with Turner Products, both TNT and TBS, and clearly the relationship with Dusty having been there. Pretty amazing story, but a real life story. But what about the matches? You had a built-in story of the up-and-comer in Sammy Guevara versus the guy who really is a veteran at this point and someone who is hugely famous. And not just in wrestling circles. Obviously, Cody has had some mainstream exposure with Arrow, um, even with the, the Stardust, Stardust gimmick and being at major WWE events. So he's a known quantity, I think, to a lot of the audience. And he's going to do the classic veteran versus young guy. I love the concept, I love the idea, but I have to say this is not the best that I've seen Sammy Guevara look. In a lot of ways, I think I was disappointed by it because the first time I saw Sammy was at the NWA uh, 70th anniversary and the tournament, I guess, for the North American title, which ultimately ended up being won by Willie Mack and a bunch of guys who are now in other promotions, including Impact and Samuel Shaw's and NXT under a different name. I thought Sammy was tremendous just that cocky heel, and I thought he had some great ring work. I ended up watching some of the clips in AAA. Um, I think it's AAA or CCMLO. Nevertheless, I don't think it was his best showing. And here it is, the biggest stage likely in his career against someone of Cody's caliber. I just didn't. I wanted to enjoy that match so much. I wanted to say, man, they are setting the table they are setting the tone. And they did to some extent, but really more about the aftermatch angle. Sammy going ahead and being a, a, sport, a sore sport. And of course, we have a run-in by some guy named Chris Jericho. Pretty amazing. Just a couple of things during the match, though. Um, there, was a, there was a sequence where Sammy was going for a bunch of stuff. So, you know, he was going into a... A moonsault, he missed, did a flip, he missed. Cody was moving out of the way, did a standing shooting star press. Really quite impressive. You had the reverse superplex off the top. Awesome, uh, Cody on, on Sammy. There was that Spanish fly, which was tremendous. And it gets one with an inside cradle. Out comes Jericho with the belt, and that's really the meat and potatoes of the story as we'd come to find out later in the show. But as a standalone match, 
it was an opening match. I'm not sure that was the best way to go, but it only means they have room to improve and they have room to step up. This is their first show, and this is by no means a complaint. I, I saw a comment earlier from Bully Ray on Twitter saying, if you're complaining, you're the problem. I'm not complaining, just giving my view of what caught me. Because let's face it, you had this huge arena show coming from D.C. Big, big place. Great lighting, great presentation, stage, the entrances, all of it. Tremendous. But my 14-year-old son glances over at the iPad. And there's Adam Cole and Matt Riddle in the middle of the ring. And when NXT in this much smaller building fits a couple hundred people, everyone's talking about the NWA and studio wrestling. I, to me, this is very similar to that. And all the lights go down. Whenever they do their title matches, when all the lights come down and you just have the spotlights on the two competitors, that's gorgeous cinematography. That's, that's just a beautiful, beautiful way to present it in such a way that it really feels like sport. So yeah, AEW was going ahead and showing everyone's records. Awesome, we're gonna do the stats thing, amazing. I love it. But the big fight feel, and the look, the tone, the feeling, the crowd, Matt Riddle and Adam Cole in the middle of the ring in the most simplest way, really came across as something powerful. And my son goes, wow, that looks really cool. So you had a 14 year old kid who's going, that more intimate feeling environment, that smaller scale, came across bigger. And this can't just be WWE production value. It's a, it's a polished product. There's a reason that it's on the USA Network. Believe me, I wanted to automatically put the quote unquote win column, whoop, one for AEW. If you watch that match, between Matt Riddle and Adam Cole. It was a fight. It felt like a fight. It looked like a fight. It had levels of brutality, pure athleticism, just the raw power that comes across from Matt Riddle. You know, there was a sequence where, um, you know, he was just manhandling Cole, bunch of gut-wrench suplexes, just like, holy cow, how, how does this guy manage to do this? And he makes it look exceptionally easy. Um, but at one point, at least in my side-by-side, -side, and I think it was just some timing issues with the feed, because it, it was just this moment where on both screens, there was a side headlock being taken down. So Adam Cole had Riddle in a side headlock, and I think that Cody had Sammy in a, in a side headlock, um, or reverse chin lock, or whatever it was. But having them both on the screen, it's like, well, if nothing else, we know these guys are capable, skilled wrestlers who are going to use... I don't want to say rest holds. They're using classic wrestling style, and that came through, and it was really cool to see it on both screens going, yes, they're out there working, and it was just fun to see. But gosh, that match with Riddle and Cole, I mean, it was just killer. And and those knee strikes, I mean, you, you have Riddle and Kenny Omega as far as those knee strikes. And I know that Seth Rollins has tried throwing in the knee strike and, and basically doing, you know, his own version. Um... But I don't know. It just came across as devastating. Just absolutely devastating. Uh, there was a roll through into the, the bro mission. And then it ends up, uh, you know, Adam Cole just digging it out in the end. It was a really, really well done match. And unless I'm, I'm remembering it incorrectly, there wasn't some massive amounts of, of interference um, and if I missed that, because I was looking at both screens, someone can go ahead and correct me in the comments or on Twitter. Um, but at the end of the, of the night, it was the long shot. It was the long shot by Adam Cole that put Riddle down, and that was an amazing match. And I couldn't have been more impressed. And I'd have to say, this is the war, right? In the head-to-head -head matchup, that opening match was just absolutely killer. And it set the tone, and it was like a, a takeover tremendous so well played triple h so the next match that nxt was running um 
no, actually, they, they went ahead and they ran a package on, on Candice LeRae next. Um, so then you had Velveteen Dream. Look, the guy's compelling. He's riveting. I'm going to watch MJF cut a promo. So that's your side-by-side. You give MJF a microphone. I'm there. Sorry, Dream. Dream is over. But MJF, as a heel, is super over. And he's living the gimmick. They just showed a clip on some daytime show. Don't touch me. Just he's living it. He is sticking in, in total kayfabe. Really impressive. Such dedication. It wasn't a great match. I mean, it wasn't. It was short. It was what it was meant to be. MJF is the bigger star. He's the established star. Brandon Cutler is going to be the journeyman, the good hand, right? That's the, you know, the theme with, with Sean Spears there is to be the good hand. He's a great athlete. I like Brandon Cutler. It's a great story. But the match really wasn't much of anything. And, you know, MJF puts him down with the salt of the earth. And he taps and you're done. But that heat, MJF, just absolutely nuclear, no matter where he goes. Just so, so good. And you talk about the top heels in the business. You have to put him right up there. And obviously, we're going to talk a little bit about Jericho. Jericho is a major heel. But who else? I mean, who else really makes you feel that kind of hate, like real hate? Brock got something of the night. But again, we're not going to talk about SmackDown Raw. But MJF is about as over as a heel as anyone. Last guy that was like that, in my opinion, that could just walk into the room and have people absolutely hate them, at least in recent memory, has definitely been Tommaso Ciampa. He had that uh, amazing ability, but we're going to get to that. Next, you had the package with Angelico and Jack Evans going ahead and harassing, you know, Silent Bob and Jay, so Kevin Smith and Jay Muse. Funny little interaction, definitely giving you that, hey, we got some Hollywood stuff, very WWE. So right now, you compare the two shows, you have your work rate, classic old school wrestling program coming out of NXT, coming out of Triple H, and you're getting the mainstream media and all that kind of tie-in with Hollywood and, and Jericho's friends with Kevin Smith and, and all of those relationships. That's what they're going with. They came across as the big time player and NXT was the work rate show. Nevertheless, and Helico, Jack Evans, they come out, they're jawing with the guys. Private Party comes out, makes the save, obviously setting up a match between these guys. I'm trying to remember what the bracket is for the next piece of the tag team tournament. But in Helico and Jack Evans are out. Private Party are facing the Bucks. So does that mean that in Helico? and Jack Evans are going to cost Private Party an opportunity to move on to the tournament, which then leaves the Young Bucks as getting through, but they're not going to be getting through necessarily on straight athleticism and just beating Private Party. Interesting. I think that's where it's going to go, but I guess we'll see. So the next match over on NXT, they're the next ones out with the match, is Io Shirai versus Mia Yim. Um... I just have to say, I, I don't have a ton to say about the match itself other than the fact that Io Shirai is a star. Absolutely a star. She projected that. She came out and all eyes were on her. She is such an effective heel. I mean, she was great as babyface and, and you know, um, you know, her relationship with, um, oh, Kyrie Sane. But she came across as really being one to watch. So whoever the brand develops, uh, the, the women's division in NXT right now, I think is second to none. We'll talk a little bit about the AEW women in just a minute. But Io Shirai, just an absolute monster heel, brutal heel, but has this like uh, almost baby face, very angelic looking when she wants to, and then she just turns it on and is just an absolute killer. Uh, there was a flip out of a of an Alabama slam at one point that was just really well done, but a lot of really cool near falls. Th there was definitely a, a lot of biting on it by the crowd, and and Mia Yim, you know, she was really selling the hell out of it, and I thought did a really great job. Uh, but that finish with uh, the moonsault, and 
Io Shirai just had this smile on her face, just such a wicked smile of like, yeah, I'm better, I won. Just really wicked, I, I liked it. It was a good, solid match. Wouldn't say any stretch of the imagination that was the, the best match of the night in either show, but it was a good, solid women's match. So then you have Hangman versus Pac, or Pac. I, I think of J.R. Pac. I wanted to like this one way more than I did as well. Solid chemistry, couple of sloppy spots, but it didn't blow me away. So this is where, okay, you uh, sounding critical again. I feel like Adam Page has all of the tools, all the raw athleticism, and he gets better all the time. But right now, there's just something missing. He doesn't have that look in his eye of he is the character Adam Page, the hangman Adam Page, basically a cowboy gimmick. Then you compare that to the guy across the ring from him. And Pac is the bastard. He is mean. He is vicious. And he's carried himself this way ever since he had the heel turn over in WWE in the Cruiserweights. Just looks like a killer, completely enveloped in the character. Doesn't look like someone you'd want to run into in a, in a dark alley. And just jacked to the gills. But it was just... It was just there. It had some really great moments, a couple of really great spots, a couple of, like I said, a couple of sloppy spots. Again, I'm not a wrestler. I can get corrected and told, no, no, no. It was a completely great match. Just my opinion. Maybe I'm wrong. Just what I observed. But one thing that happened in a number of matches that I'm finding to be completely overdone are the roundhouse kicks because the next match over on NXT ended up being Johnny Gargano versus Shane Thorne. So Justin Kennedy, if anyone doesn't know what I mean, basically, the yes kicks. You know, the Daniel Bryan, Bryan Danielson, the Miz does it. But it gets done a lot. And mind you, it got done a lot in Japan. And Danielson obviously had some experience there and, and wrestled very much that style. But guys, gals, let's get some other stuff in kind of gets boring to see the same thing. And I think at one point it was within a few seconds of each other on both screens where you're seeing a very similar moveset. Mind you, everything's been done before. There's only a handful of guys that are truly innovators. But the whole multiple round kicks to the chest, I don't know, it's a little played out. But I will say that um, Pac finishing off Hangman in a very similar way of how he beat Kenny, their brutalizer, but how he set it up and going for that black arrow, that whole sequence into the brutalizer and having it so Hangman can't tap, he can't answer the bell, same thing with Kenny. Really making Pac into a world beater. So I don't know where they're going to go with the world title. Jericho's obviously in, entrenched as a heel, but Cody's always said, not that heels and faces don't matter. I know that he used that phrasing. But I think that if it's sport, you can have two guys that are heel types fight each other. And if the story's right and the prize is right, let's say a world title, I think you can pull it off. And guys like Jericho and Pac have faced each other before. There was the infamous match where Pac, who Neville at the time broke his ankle in the ring with Jericho. Nevertheless, they already have chemistry. You know they can work. If you want two guys who could work a heel match against each other, who's going to out-heel the other one, I'd pay to see that. And I may pay to see that because that should be a pay-per-view match, not one on TNT. But I think it was the right call. They're going to really build up Pac, and we'll see where this goes. On the other side, you have Johnny Gargano versus Shane Thorne. But again, I feel like both of these matches, I think the Hangman match and the Pac match was better overall. Told a better story. It's setting up for the future. It's putting more wins on Pac and more losses on Hangman. So I think Hangman has, what, one win? Does he have one or two wins in AEW so far? Yeah, one of them is a, is a the Casino Battle Royale. Does that count? Is that a one-on-one -on -one match? Yeah, it's like, you, you know, you, I think they, they didn't show any graphics for some of the guys that were in six-mans because that doesn't count. But the Johnny Gargano match, if nothing else... Shane Thorne 
looks like a star. He is being built to look like a star. Um, he has some pretty good size, the whole look. But again, there was a bunch of those kicks. It was just, it was just there. It was just there. Nothing that really blew me away. It's always fun to see Johnny Gargano wrestle. And it was good to kind of see Thorne get the rub. But again, nothing that really blew me away. So the next match was Shayna Baszler versus really the indie darling, the indie princess, the best friend of Joey Ryan, and of course the wife of Johnny Gargano, Candice LeRae who's been building and building and building through her career. She could have stayed on the indies and had a great career. But I think I, I've seen just leaps and bounds with Candice since she's been in NXT and at the Performance Center. Really tremendous. But definitely the white meat babyface. But man, she was selling and selling and selling and selling. Fantastic. And she would get these couple of shots in. She'd rear back. But it's Shayna Baszler. Really difficult. She's methodical. And at some points, the match really slowed down and turned into this slow, vicious, stalking beating for stretches of time. I'm not going to get into words that I probably shouldn't be using as a someone who's never been in the business. I'm not going to say there was these, these hope spots, etc. But there was definitely the structure to the match that was very, very classic. Nice body press by Candice. Um, and like she stepped up onto Shayna's back and then launched into the senton. Awesome. That was absolutely awesome. I loved it because, you know, Candace is, is slighter in frame than someone like Shayna. So her whole body weight comes crashing down, smashes Shayna down to the mat. It was great. I, I really enjoyed it. And there was that nasty apron bump, um, where Candace come over the top rope or she on the outside and Shayna just boom, straight down into the, into the apron. Really, really cool. Um, and then, what, Candace follows it up with three suicide dives? Pretty, pretty cool. Um, but then those gut wrenches by Shayna and just those strikes. Um, you know, that striking, people talk about it. And that, there's that Josh Barnett background. I must just proud every time he sees what Shayna can do. Um, but then there's that great German from Candace. But then right into the submission and trying to break away. Well, she misses the moonsault. Bam. Right back into Shayna's clutches. It's game over for Candice LeRae. But I do think it was one of Candice's best matches. And I think other than the Cole-Riddle match, so far in the night, this was the match that I really enjoyed. Another title match. On the other side, you have Riho versus Nyla Rose for the AEW women's title. So I have to say, and before anyone, you know, gets on me about anything, I'm just not a fan of Nyla Rose's work. It has nothing to do with her history or her story. Because if it was just based upon her history and her story, I mean, you automatically want to root for the underdog. But here you have someone who is actually in the power spot, and the underdog is Riho. I haven't found a match yet where I really felt like Nyla has demonstrated that, yes, awesome, killer work. Now, in this match, she's the base for Rio. And when I say base, and you know, that Lucha Libre where you have the much larger person. You, you have the, the David and Goliath. And in that respect, this match absolutely delivered. And Riho showing such amazing babyface fire, that non-stop, like, I'm going to come back and do everything that I can to beat you. That story being told was excellent. And I think that's why... It's got such rave reviews, but I don't think it's the best worked match of the night. And now that might be maybe semantics. Say, what is what is working? Working is telling the story, and it doesn't have to be about all the moves. Okay, fine. So, so not work rate. I don't mean it that way. Um, so they were working. They were working the crowd. That whole David and Goliath tale. I think that's why it has been given the rave reviews that it's been given. But I think there's a lot of real sloppiness. And, and I don't know. There's just something, there's just something missing. But I do think the sequence where Riho got Nyla Rose into, what was the cripple or crossface? It actually came across as believable. So I will say this, Nyla definitely sold, definitely sold for Riho. 
And back in the old days, it would have been, no, you're the larger opponent. You should not believably be beaten by this much smaller competitor. Now, that story's been told before. Rey Mysterio, I think, is the perfect example. Um, and, and coming back against all odds. Now, they kind of crapped on Rey, but that's a whole other story. In that regard, beautifully told story. Frankly, I was surprised by the outcome. I really did. Because if, if nothing else, I really thought that the, the story, the background of Nyla Rose was going to be kind of the piece of it. Uh, that's part of their marketing. That's part of their strategy. And it's brilliant to go ahead, particularly to appeal to the demographic that they're looking for, which according to the ratings was that 18 to 49. I mean, they nailed it. They absolutely nailed it. So I thought they were just going to be telling that story in part because, you know, they're doing press and it's a story that they can tell and they can say, hey, this is what happened on our debut show and here's our first women's champion. Um, so really surprised when Rio went over. I thought it was just going to be a hope spot and she was going to really go ahead and it seemed like she was going to come back and Nyla was just going to drop her at the end and it was going to be game over for Rio. So kind of a pleasant surprise. Again, not my favorite match of the night, although I do know why people love the story because it really was told very, very well. Um, and Rio is really believable in, in, in some of the strikes, so I, I, was, I was shocked. I was really shocked by the whole thing. Um, what I find so strange, though, is that all that being said about the, the stories they're trying to tell, talking about inclusion, diversity, etc., is that they seemingly immediately set up Nyla Rose to be in angles versus Kenny Omega and Michael Nakazawa. Really kind of interesting that they went there, because it seems like that's not someplace they'd necessarily go, at least not right out of the gate. Um, the intergender tag scene is a, is a huge thing. We just talked about Candice LeRae. Um, just, I, I don't know, I found it really interesting that they went that approach. And Michael Nakazawa, my gosh, Nyla almost, almost dropped him. Um, scooped him back up, bam, dropped him. Uh, and his comments on Twitter were like, man, I really got beat up. It's a lot of fun. I'm not sure where it goes. Is it going to be a feud with Kenny? Is it going to be a feud with Michael Nakazawa? Is it going to be just this, this Japanese contingent? Is it going to lead to a stable, another sub-stable out of the elite? Because I do still think they're going somewhere with Kenny. Not sure where they're going just yet, but we'll see. So over on NXT... I wanted to say that this was a, a match that was going to be phenomenal, was going to be a blowaway match. Maybe I didn't think so. I love Pete Dunne, but the Pete Dunne-Danny Burch match, that was just, a, for lack of a better term, just a TV match. It was solid. A couple of nasty headbutts from, from Danny Burch, and I just have a good time watching those guys. Just solid, British, strong style. Fun match. Really just setting up for the angle with Damian Priest coming out. But I have to say, Punishment Martinez was a much better name. It's, I mean, it's a t-shirt waiting to happen. Babyface or heel doesn't really matter, but Punishment Martinez on a shirt with the graphics division that WWE has at its disposal, I think is a winner. Damian Priest, the archer of infamy? This guy should be a world beater. He's huge. He can also move. I guess he's not huge. How, how, how tall is he? Seems pretty tall. What was he, like 6'6"? Six, six? Anyway, guy can move, and you've made him an archer. Not even the Emerald Archer. It's not Green Arrow. That gimmick's already taken by Stephen Amell. I don't know. It's a bad gimmick. I think it diminishes a guy who has a lot of upside. But I guess we'll see where it goes. So, the next match is the... Well, actually, both shows are going to have their main events. And I don't think it's a surprise. Well, maybe it is a surprise when you think of WWE overall products. But NXT has absolutely valued tag team wrestling just as much as AEW says that they value tag team wrestling. Now, mind you, yes, it was the six-man... But a big piece of this was getting the former LAX Santina, Santana and Ortiz in the ring against the Bucks. 
and you have Kenny and, and Jericho almost as throw-ins because this was Alpha Club versus Bullet Club at one point. The Elite come out to the Being the Elite theme. Awesome. They're all wearing the matching colors. Cohesion. Here's the Elite. They're all together. They're ready to take on really a, a, a mismatch, right? Jericho and Ortiz and Santana. Big, big time main event though. Jericho is the biggest star, and I don't think that can be denied. Versus the Street Profits and Undisputed Era. Tag team title being the top build. Cole and Riddle were the opening match to counter Sammy and Cody. But tag team wrestling, for the for the demographics that are watching both of these shows, tag team wrestling, and as I mentioned on the last podcast, is how a lot of us got into wrestling. I said strike force, and then all the classic teams of, of the 80s and the 90s. The demolitions, but you also have the four horsemen over in Crockett and the Midnight Express, the Rock and Roll Express. Of course, the Rockers, and then all the other teams that came and went. You had the, the Killer Bees, the Conquistadors. I mean, tag team wrestling is really a great piece of the art form. It's a great piece of the business. And it's good to see it taking such precedence in an, a WWE product, in NXT. I know it's Hunter's World and it's different, but it's so damn good. So now it's... Pure, massive star power. The Young Bucks and Chris Jericho, Kenny Omega, and honestly, Santana and Ortiz in the business, huge stars. This is a massive, massive main event. Now, the Street Profits are up and coming. Really, really good. And the Undisputed Era are about as over as you can get. And it's weird, because you have a lot of these guys who have been through Ring of Honor or they've been through New Japan, or just, it's so amazing to think about all these individuals. This is what we've been missing all these years since WCW went out of business. Yeah, you've had the Invacs, TNAs, Ring of Honors, and all those kind of things, but now you're getting these fantasy matches of people who are coming from these different indies, and some have the opportunity to go to AEW, some have the opportunity to go to places like NXT, um, which will obviously, I still think will be like ground zero for new talent who comes over. But these two matches, I think I have to break them out separately and, and not go back and forth. So first and foremost, you do get some pyro over on uh, AEW for, for the teams, and Jericho in particular coming out looking like an absolute star that he is. Amazing, 49 years old, and a guy who was very prominently featured on TNT television. It reminded me that somewhere back in, what, 96, 97, 98, probably somewhere in there, um, my wife, who was then my girlfriend, not even my fiance, and her roommate, they indulged me, watched wrestling. It was the worst. I loved wrestling. They knew that. But they themselves were not these wrestling fans. They kind of humored me. So one day, the roommate, our friend, goes walking by, she looks at the TV. This is the only time she's ever said anything about wrestling and what was on. Oh, is that Jericho? She knew Chris Jericho. That should tell you something. Even then, he was a star. At the time, he was a heel. But he still had the classic babyface look, but doing the heel shtick. That's part of the reason he's been so successful is, is how much that early phase of Chris Jericho, that heel Chris Jericho, made an impression. And that's why he had one of the most powerful debuts ever on Monday Night Raw. But here he is now, the grizzled old vet. His studded jacket to his own theme music because he's a freaking rock star on top of it all. And that beautiful belt. My God, that's a beautiful belt. Anyway, he comes out. The place is on fire. This is a main event, an absolute main event. And it's a great way to have a debut episode, to, to end a, a, a huge thing like this. Back in the day, it would have been a guy like, I think the first Nitro, was it Flair on top? I'd have to go back and look, so I apologize if that's wrong. Nevertheless, 
match barely begins, really. But a couple minutes in, two minutes in, the return of John Moxley. Mox has returned to pick up where he left off. So his debut was beating up Kenny Omega, double or nothing. And now his return from injury is beating up Kenny Omega on AEW Dynamite. That table spot was awesome, the way that they were brawling. But I think my favorite moment was when Kenny Omega was, in fact, once again, the cleaner with the mop. Tremendous. Or the or the push broom. I think it was a mop. That was absolutely awesome. My kids are like, well, what is he doing with the mop? I'm like, he's the cleaner. He's cleaning up. He's going to clean up John Moxley. Awesome. Awesome little moment. Really enjoyed it. Throwing over all the furniture, their brawl. And they both get taken away. Saw a couple of things online. I've been trying to avoid it because I wanted to have my my podcast be my own thoughts and not really impacted by what anyone said. So I avoided the bus that opens and stuff like that today. Just looking at Twitter. And someone made the comment that they were taking it a little bit out of the match because why wouldn't the ref throw out that match? That is an absolutely fair assessment. Why wouldn't he throw it out? when one of the competitors just got the tar kicked out of him. Now, mind you, it was none of the other competitors in the match that took him out. It was a third party, but that's outside interference. Usually you call for the belts done. So a little bit of a lapse in wrestling logic, but hey, what are you going to do? You got to set up the angle. These two need to fight. I'm all for it. Let them fight. But now it essentially becomes a handicap match. Also not exactly fair for the ref. Okay, it's going to be two on three. Good luck with all that. But it ended up being a, a typical, you know, one-sided match for, for long stretches until you got that hot tag. And all you saw over and over and over again, over and over again, on Twitter, social media, Nick Jackson's hot tag, Nick Jackson hot tag. Well, are those people who are new? Are they new to to wrestling? Are they new to AEW? Are they new to the Young Bucks? Nick Jackson's had the best hot tag for years now. And you know what? They went through the greatest hits, and everyone loves to see it because it's compelling. And if you're someone who's only seeing it for the first time, I get why. You'd be like, holy cow, what is this guy doing? He's absolutely amazing. And it was. It was absolutely amazing. But how does it end? Codebreaker into, let's see, what did he do? Um, pulled him up and bam. What, Judas Effect? Judas Effect was on Matt? I, uh, I forget exactly, but it was definitive. So Jericho has gotten the Judas Effect over, absolutely over. Boom, lands it. Crowd knows it's done. It's done. The match is over when he hits it. Like the first time that someone goes ahead and kicks out of that better be Jericho's last night in the company or some kind of, I don't know, non-DQ match or the someone's back is turned. There's got to be some reason because if nothing else, and this is what made Kenny Omega, I think, so effective over in New Japan. If you hit the one-winged angel, you're done. I think it's incredibly important to respect the finish. Hey, I'm copywriting that. <laughs> Gotta get a t-shirt made. And that's gonna be respect the finish. Because it matters. And Jericho's proven that it matters. So that thing better remain strong and not something that he's gonna do three or four of them in a match. Uh-uh. He might go for it, he might miss, but you gotta keep the finisher strong. So it was good to see the champion, Le Champion, go ahead and finish off the match. Because it should have been. But then, this is where things get crazy. It turns into what we think is the beginning of a stable. So again, I haven't watched any of the behind-the-scenes stuff or the or the or when the, the cameras went off or when they went off the air. I know there's something that's happened. It's a segment with Jericho and LAX and Sammy Guevara coming back, still looking to get some revenge against his loss earlier tonight to Cody. And the debut of Jake Hager, the former Jack Swagger. We the people chants, just faces 
in the crowd. The one guy's flipping him off. Man, heel heat like you wouldn't imagine, but also genuine surprise. So when Cody said only 40% of the roster, I was thinking that the, the, he was referring to Jericho's partners were going to be a bigger surprise and people we hadn't seen before. No. Instead, out comes Jake Hager. Just absolutely demolishing everyone. I know it's been a little while since he's he's been on this stage, probably. He looked a little off at a couple of different times, but when he's locked in on the physicality, this guy has always been just a juggernaut physically. But if he's in a stable with Jericho, he doesn't need to talk that much. He can just be muscle. He can be power. He can be size. And they need big guys. And he's certainly a big guy. He's legit. MMA guy, wrestler, former WWE champion. Knock it out of the park by bringing this guy in. Thought it was tremendous. And if you've ever seen his stuff on social media, and he used to do up, up, down, down with the guys, he's incredibly likable. I think that some people get just, I don't know, hung up on his on the way that he looks a little bit as just being such almost like a meathead. He's not. He seems like a tremendously fun guy. But this has set up another era. It's your, it's your, it's your counter to the elite. So people are trying to figure out what's the name going to be. There's so many possibilities. But they're all going to be coming right out of the minds of one Chris Jericho. And you know they got a name planned. It's going to be awesome. So now, the NXT Tag Team Championship. The former champions, the Street Profits, trying to get the titles back from the Undisputed Era. This was just some old school tag team wrestling. But what I think is the most impressive thing about it all, again, the introductions, awesome. But the Street Profits are big guys. Like, big guys. You know, I think of uh, the way that they move a little bit. I, you know, they're definitely reminiscent of, of Stevie and, and Booker T. But they're their own, their own level of athleticism that is just uncanny. Just absolutely uncanny. But they're these big, fast, smooth athletes. But the undisputed era, Fish and O'Reilly, have such... A credibility about them because they come across as these just overused term couple of pit bulls who have such technique and skill that that MMA style we're gonna get you down we're gonna hold you down we're gonna have quick tags in and out keep you away from your partner and you're looking at two much larger men but as completely believable Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly are absolutely, completely credible. You think they can go in against any guys of any size and have a chance to win. And they prove that. Now, mind you, <laughs> you know, it uh, it, it got into a, a little, not a schmozzy finish or anything, um, but certainly... Uh, But I think that was the expectation, right? That you were definitely going to have the interference. It was eventually going to be, you know, Strong coming out, Cole coming out, and somehow going ahead and costing the Street Profits the, the championship. Um, but it really, it was it was a matter that, my gosh, the, the heat on, on Montez Ford was so long. I mean, that was like 20 minutes, it seemed like, that he was cut off from his partner, and they were just pounding on him. I mean, that is tremendous. So I think that's one thing that I noticed is it doesn't seem like Dawkins really had, we just talked about Nick Jackson's hot tag. After having been beating on Ford for that long, it should have been a little bit fiery, more fiery of a, of a hot tag. That was the only thing that was a letdown. It took a little bit of the energy down for me because he really should have been way more of a house on fire with which Nick Jackson is. And that was a little bit of a thing that was missing. But a couple of nasty knees to the face. There was that dragon screw over the rope. I think it was a, a fish on, on Ford um, around the ring post. A couple of nasty dives. And I still hate the fact that they call it the high-low finish. It's total elimination. It is Saturn and Cronus. Just call it total elimination. Please. Pretty please. Because that's what it's called. 
called total elimination. So now, the champs. The champs everywhere. All the Undisputed Era. You have Cole. You have Roderick Strong. They have those awesome t-shirts with all the titles on it. Absolutely tremendous. And here he comes. The Blackheart, Tomasa Ciampa, returns to NXT. Such a moment. And this guy is absolute, kind of the, the anti-hero, is he a heel? But my gosh, right now, that guy's coming back as a baby face. And the way that he, he left when he got injured and kind of rekindling that relationship with Johnny, I mean, this guy right now is poised to be a huge, huge star. Great to have him back. You watch some of the clips of his rehab. Holy cow. I mean, this guy comes back looking better than ever. And he may be better than ever. Really, really looking forward to seeing Adam Cole and Tommaso Ciampa go ahead and mix it up for the title. So whatever the next major event is going to be, I'm not sure when that is. I'll, I'll check the schedule. That has to be the, what happens. So those are the two shows. Hopefully that's been kind of a good recap in, in granting some of my opinions. Still new at podcasting. I was really focusing on not too many oohs and ahs and ums like I did last time. But those are the two shows. So who is the star of the night? I'd have to say, drum roll please. Mm, gonna put myself on the spot. Who was the star of the night? Who was the star of the night? Mm. Tommaso Ciampa. Tommaso Ciampa, of everyone that came out. And I'm not talking about, I got to put almost maybe put Jericho in, in another, another realm. But I mean, just for the night, capturing the crowd, the energy, the star power. I think Tommaso Ciampa commanded the screen more than anyone else for the whole night. It doesn't mean that there weren't moments on both shows where guys stood out. But I really think that Tommaso Ciampa has come back to be as bright a star as you're going to have in the business. So, the ratings war. 1.4 million viewers for AEW. And, what, almost 900,000 for NXT. The question that I said at the beginning, AEW won the ratings war. But was it a better show? In my heart of hearts, I wanted to say yes before the show even began. I really did. I just wanted them to knock it out of the park and say, look what we can do. And in many ways, they did. They did. You can't, you can't possibly not enjoy that show. You can't possibly say it's not a success because they got the ratings. They have tremendous production values for a new company. And they had a lot of talent really step up to the plate as far as star power. Because they're building the stories, they're building the characters. I gotta say, it was a lackluster in-ring night for me personally. Just my opinion. Some really great flashes of work. Riho was an absolute standout as a babyface. Really, really thought that was tremendous. Um, but other than that, Moxley, I think really grabbed the attention of the crowd, but I think he's also on a, on a kind of a different level too. It's almost like you, you can't even compare the two shows as far as star of the night, if you include Mox and you include Jericho. I just think they're transcendent at this point, which a couple of years ago, I didn't think he'd say about Ambrose, now Moxley. I really didn't. It seemed like he was stuck, stuck in some gear, stuck in some mud, and was never going to get out of it. And he did the right thing. He did what Cody did. Bet on himself, go out there, be your own person. But did he project himself in that same way that Ciampa did? I don't know. Everyone was psyched to see him back, but we've seen him more recently. Ciampa just came back from major surgery and being gone for, what, almost a year? I think those kind of returns. So maybe it's unfair to me to say he's the star of the night. 
when he hasn't worked in a long time, he certainly didn't work and didn't do much of anything really, then stare at Cole, stare at his title. Hey, Goldie, you're coming back my way. Uh, you just can't, you can't deny how he came across on the screen last night. So, better show. I have to say NXT was a better show. It really was. Maybe I'm more of a work rate guy than I thought. I thought I was, I thought I was story guy. I thought one of the reasons that I loved AEW was these long stories that they were doing. You know, that, like I mentioned, the, the Hangman Joey Ryan, that was over a year just on a YouTube channel. Long-form stories, the poisoning angles, and the build-up to when Cole was kicked out of Bullet Club and Marty Skrull came in. Like, long stories with little, little seeds being cast, a lot of foreshadowing, really in-depth storytelling. I love that stuff. For some reason, some elements of the show didn't hold up in the way that I would have hoped them to do. So now, here I am, new podcast, loving everything AEW, hashtag I'm with AEW, completely loving it, putting it over. My kid's first ever wrestling pay-per-view was Cody and the Bucks and, and all in. And I came across kind of disappointed. And I know that sounds awful. Maybe my expectations were too high. But that's not to say that there weren't these, these great moments. So I'm looking forward to the weeks to come. Look to see how the shows evolve. How the programming and counter-programming starts to, to work. How much espionage is going to be taking place. Trying to figure out where things are going to be placed at which quarter hour. How they're going to be working you know, commercial breaks. All that stuff. But I'm less interested in that than... The head-to-head matchups of match versus match, star versus star, and who's telling the best stories. So there's one thing that I can agree with almost all of what Twitter has said in all the social media and major newspapers and everyone is that the wrestling fan wins, really, truly wins. So fortunate to be at this time. It's such a... It's almost nostalgia. It's almost deja vu all over again, as Yogi Berra would say of those Monday Night Wars and having viable companies with up-and-coming young talent sprinkled in with veterans, this nothing like this has really ever happened before because NWA had existed for, what, 60 years by the time they became WCW and all the different purchases and all the territories and, you know, Crockett. This is something completely different. This was a whim and a prayer and a bet by a bunch of guys who have been, I don't know, rebels? I don't even know if rebels is the word so much as they've been guys and gals, but mostly the guys talking about the Bucks and Cody and Kenny who really wanted to make a change. You know, there's that opening crawl in, in being the elite, killing the business. They've been looking to redefine the business, but have actually done so by tapping into the past, which I think is what's so interesting. The Bucks marketing machines, being able to put themselves over and make themselves filthy rich in the process and, and completely redefining merchandise for the entire industry with pro wrestling tees and, and the relationship that built there. And then you have Cody. I mean, Cody is the son of Dusty Rhodes. And when you throw in Kenny Omega, Kenny Omega's uncle is the Golden Sheik up in Canada so he's kind of second-generation wrestler. He's not new to the business, and that's something in his DNA and certainly has been under the learning tree of such tremendous talent. Nevertheless, it's a great time to be a wrestling fan. It's a great time to launch a podcast. It's a great time to talk to all of you. So once again, I thank you all for tuning in. For those of you who took a chance and said, I'm going to go ahead and listen to this pod because I love AEW, I love NXT, I love wrestling and the Wednesday Night War. Thank you. For those of you who are just tuning in for the first time, please hit subscribe, please like, give us ratings, reviews. We're on Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, launchpaddm.com, launchpaddm.com. And you can find me at Twitter, at middleagedmark one. 
That is at MiddleAgedMark1 on Twitter. I am the Middle-Aged Mark, and this has been Wednesday Night Wrestling. Until next week.